Good evening, everyone. Evening all. Welcome to Equip, our first Equip of the new academic year as we think about the uh, not-so-small subject of the Trinity. Um, so I hope you're looking forward to that. Well done for braving the weather and coming out as summer ends and autumn certainly has. And as Rob comes to help us think a little bit more about what the Bible says about the Trinity and why that's good news for our lives, why don't I pray for us as we begin this evening. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your character. Help us this evening as we dive into your word and explore more about what it means that you are Trinity, triune and why that is a good thing for us and affects our everyday lives. Please be with us, help us to concentrate, help us to be um, transformed, and so may we leave this place not just being more uh, informed as as to understanding what the Trinity is all about, uh, but may our lives be transformed as we go away from here and live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Uh, Well done for getting through the monsoon tonight and being here. Um, Well done for taking a sensible option and staying on Zoom, if you're on Zoom. Uh, Great to have you with us. No, it is nice to have people in the building. Um, We're going to look at this topic of the Trinity. Maybe you've not been to an equip before. Uh, The equip is designed to equip us uh, by thinking through some big topics of doctrine uh, or issues in the Christian life. And um, we like it to be a bit more informal than a Sunday. You know, I'm not wearing a shirt and all that sort of thing. Uh, I might lean on the lectern. Uh, But also, I love a bit interaction in terms of getting you to read out Bible passages uh, and that sort of thing. We've also got questions. Um, The usual method uh, will be uh, via pigeonhole, and there's a QR code for that uh, on your sheets. Do nudge someone if you don't know what I'm talking about there uh, to uh, submit your questions. But uh, as Woody mentioned, we're thinking about the Trinity, and I wonder if I could ask you, first of all, what do you associate with that word? Um, I don't know if you've ever done those word associations. They're a big favorite with psychologists, aren't they? You know, tell me the first word that comes into your head when I say the word fish or, I don't know, happiness or something like that. Uh, What is it that comes into your head when I say the word Trinity? Um, So just... uh, uh, just amongst yourselves, uh, in pairs, what comes into your head? Woody, just as you're walking past people, point, keep point the microphone in their direction, just share some thoughts. I've been volunteered, sorry. <laughs> um, we were just saying, you know, it, another word for one is unity. Yep. And you have the unity... Just of... one word. That's, no, no, sorry. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, I'll be okay, that's it. <laughs> Shan't say anymore. Yep, um, <laughs> so you have the unity of yep. the Trinity, which yep. is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, and we, having the Holy Spirit, partake... In that trinity. Great. Um, you might as well go home, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Sorry. That's, that's basically where we're going. Thank you. 
model answer there. Um, anyone else have a slightly different reaction? That might help my sort of seminar a bit more. No, thank you. Thanks, Peter. Sorry, I'm teasing. <laughs> Great. Any, any, anyone, perhaps, I don't want to put words in your mouth, bit of confusion? Yeah? Mystery? Yeah? It was the, the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah? 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 Yeah, do go and watch that if you're not seeing the Yes. <laughs> um, anything from over here? Confusion, a bit of mystery, yes? Thank you. Just for our friends on Zoom, we said that reminds us of a, a hymn, or some of us, uh, God in Three Persons, Blessed Trinity. So I'm sensing, you know, it's there in the kind of air we know about it. So it's in our songs, as Peter so clearly um, stated. It's, uh, you know, it's what we believe fundamentally. But there is a degree of, um, maybe it's a bit too strong, but trepidation, of, of confusion sometimes, of mystery. Um, I think that's fair that, that actually a lot of people do feel that when they come to this uh, subject. And I've got to say, I, I completely understand, but, but it, it is a shame if we stay there. Um, it's a shame, I think, for two reasons. First of all, it's a bit more serious. Uh, it is a danger. Uh, quite often through the history of the church, uh, the church has gone uh, astray uh, because of this doctrine of the Trinity, and it's not got it right. Um, you'll know that in our hearts, we have that propensity to create idols. We were hearing about it on Sunday. And actually, we are very good at recreating God in our image uh, rather than he truly is. And quite often in the church, we're going to have a look at that today, uh, we get into that danger of skewing who God is. Uh, so that's one thing we're, we're, you know, if we don't engage with this subject, we're not alert to those dangers and we won't spot them coming. Uh, the second problem, though, is I think um, we lose out on a great uh, store of um, assurance and comfort in the Christian life. Um, I'm abso- absolutely convinced that as we look deeper into the Trinity, that we are more and more astounded of who God is, and our hearts will be lifted uh, in worship to Him. So, um, those two things, I think if we stay in that sort of, oh, I can't think about the Trinity, it's too difficult, or it's too much confusion, uh, we won't be alert to the danger, and we miss out on the beauty of who God is. And my aim this evening really is to, you know, we're not going to wrap up everything on the Trinity, uh, we haven't got that long, uh, but uh, we've got all eternity for that. Um, but we are going to think a little bit about how we spot the dangers, what's the what, what do we understand about the Trinity? Perhaps a bit more of the kind of head stuff. And then in the second session, we're going to do a bit more of the heart stuff as we think, why is the Trinity so beautiful? First of all, though, let's go on to this idea of understanding the Trinity. Here's a quote from a Dutch theologian, uh, lived about 400 years ago. And he's quite clear, isn't he, that actually, if we don't understand the Trinity, we've not understood God. Here's what he says. He who does not adore the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as equal in divine majesty worships not the true God, but a creature of his own imagination. 
So it couldn't be any more serious for this Dutch theologian, I'm trying to avoid pronouncing his surname, uh, but uh, if we don't understand God as triune, as Trinity, we've not been worshipping the true God. We've worshipped a God of our own imagination. Um, so what do we mean by God being Trinity? Um, this may be pretty obvious, but honestly, it was only a few years ago I clocked this, that the word Trinity is a, a combination word of the word tri and un. So I don't know if you ever do those Google things where you I absolutely love these. You see the um, kind of history of a word. Do you ever look at those? There's a diagram there. It's a fascinating thing on Google. um, Do check it out afterwards. But you can basically see what's the history of a word, how's it been pieced together, and you'll see that um, this may be completely obvious to you, but it wasn't to me, that actually it's two words, try for three, not the rugby try, and unus, uh, one, uh, Latin for one, and we get this word triune. And Again, maybe pretty obvious, but both of those ideas are held together in tension uh, in uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and the word triune. So we're going to take that word apart. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at the un bit of it, the oneness of God. And I wonder if we could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. If someone could shout out a page number, or chapter 6 rather, thank you, you're awake. 185, I think that was. And I wonder if we could just pass the mic around. If, don't worry if you don't want to read out loud, but if someone could read for us, uh, if there's a mic. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Thank you. Very famous verses. We often read them on a Sunday These were the verses that Jesus uh, quoted when he was asked about the summary of the law. Um, And I remember getting into an argument when I was having a haircut on these very verses. Uh, It was was East London. Uh, I had a Muslim uh, hairdresser. And uh, he said to me the question, how can you say God's trinity? Clearly, the Old Testament says God is one. And there it is in black and white. Uh, Here are Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's quite funny, as we were getting more and more heated in this argument, my hair cut got rougher and rougher. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he cut off a bit more than I asked him to. But um, it does seem pretty obvious, doesn't it? The Lord is one. Uh, there is only one God. Um, that is until you, you've got to ask the question, what does it mean by one? Um, and to help us with that, we look at the context. And uh, if you look at verse 3, you'll see why, why are these verses here. Well, look at what he says in verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land. And look at verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So the purpose here, Moses speaking to Israel, is to say to them, um, make sure the Lord is at the center as you go into this land. Um, Don't be worshiping other gods. So the oneness of God here isn't a kind of mathematical equation. It's not a kind of mathematical unity. It is a oneness in the sense that God is exclusive. There is no other gods apart from him. Um, Turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 45. We should be familiar with these. 
731, thank you. And if someone could read those verses for us. I am the Lord. There is no other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Thank you. So um, this is a sneak preview of what's coming Sunday, by the way. Um, It's amazing how these things have all come together. Um, But here we see a kind of definition of that oneness. As I say, it's not a mathematical unity. It's not the digit one. But actually, there are no rivals. Apart from me, there is no God. So if you were to go through the whole universe and try to categorize it between God and not God, uh, God would be in the God category, and everything else in the universe would be in the not God category. Uh, There is no rivals. There's no um, kind of semi-gods. There's no assistant gods. There's no curate gods. There is only one God, and there is no rivals. So when we get this idea of un or triune, we are thinking that God is exclusive, um, that there is uh, no rivals to him. And I, I get, as I say that, that probably just seems pretty obvious to us. We're, we're used to the idea of God being one. We talk about that. Um, the word God, it sounds like a one thing, doesn't it? It's singular. But actually, for a large part of human history and a large part of the world, even today, that is not an obvious point. Uh, the fact that God is one was a big idea as it came out, uh, in, uh, as it was revealed in the Old Testament. And I think for very good reason, um, although people were wrong, you can see why people thought there were many gods or different gods at different levels. If you look at our world, I mean, we're having the rain beat down on us now. A week ago, I was riding along in shorts and t-shirt thinking how hot it was. There just seems a bit of a, a kind of two forces at work in our world. A kind of, and you can see how people then say there's a god of rain, god of sun, that sort of thing. And there's good and evil in our world. We only need to turn on the news to be reminded of that. And we often talk about the forces of good and evil, and people attributed those to gods. Or the kind of fight for um, kind of political ideologies that goes around in our world. And um, you see this in the ancient world, where um, we've got some pictures here, I believe. Um, oh, sorry, I don't know if we've got those. Yeah, here's, um, here's some pictures of... Um, in a, of some of the ancient gods uh, that were around. This is, um, this is Baal, um, famously uh, made famous by Elijah, um, or rather the prophets that were around with Elijah. And you'll see there's a lightning bolt on his side. You can just about make it out here on the right-hand side, this idea that Baal controlled the weather. And you'll remember that actually Elijah is uh, ministering in a time where there uh, is drought and people crying out to Baal uh, for him to... Uh, send the storm. Or um, Marduk, which comes from um, Babylon, uh, Babylonia, um, was a god who was um, kind of went up the ranks and eventually created the universe. And um, there's a picture of him there. Or the god Molech, who we sadly sort of know had child sacrifices. And perhaps, yeah, we won't dwell on that picture too much. But, but you get the sense that this, is, this was very much in the, in the blood of the people. 
very much in the kind of fabric of the ancient world, that there were many gods, different ranks, and you had to appeal to different gods to control different aspects of the world. But Deuteronomy comes along and God reveals himself as one. There is only one God. There's no rivals. There's no Moloch, no Marduk, no Baal. Uh, It's why he writes in Isaiah, as we've been seeing on Sundays, that actually he has no rivals. You need not fear other so-called gods. And I just wonder if this oneness, it may be pretty obvious to us, but actually it's something that we keep needing to reiterate, especially perhaps in our globalized world where we're more connected with one another. We realize that lots of people in the world don't accept there's just one God. Um, There are many gods uh, in places uh, like the East. And, um, you know, we perhaps need to kind of keep hold of this idea that, well, we certainly need to keep hold of the idea, but maybe we need to talk about that uh, a bit more. And we were reflecting on this as a staff team um, off the back of Woody's sermon on Sunday, thinking actually um, a lot of the ideologies that go around our world, especially today where it feels like everything kind of flies around the world at lightning speed, actually in some ways reflected the ancient world where there were these different gods representing different worldviews around. So it's important, isn't it, that we we assure ourselves that God is one, there are no rivals, Um, he is is God alone, Uh, but also uh, that we uh, see that, that oneness doesn't mean a kind of mathematical unity, and we will come to this in a moment, but actually uh, the fact that he stands as God alone. Let's just take a couple of minutes there. Turn to the person next to you. Just, just think about that idea that God's one. He tolerates no rivals. Um, how does that make you feel uh, as, you, as you hear that? Woody, I wonder if you could go around the middle and just, if anyone's happy to share. Sorry, you can't sit still, I'm afraid, sorry. Just around the middle here so these guys don't miss out on all the fun. Um, Any sort of gut reactions to that? Uh, Some of you may have seen the news tonight. South Today majored in Southampton on uh, women celebrating. And in the hall that it was held... There was multiple gods. Um, one god for fertility. Mm. One god um, that the women would show um, uh, kindness and love towards their husband. And I thought to myself, what a waste of space that was. <laughs> no, not the sentiment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Thank you um, for that very live example. Um, any, anyone else happy to share? I said it's um, quite freeing yeah. that there's only one God. You haven't got to worry about worshipping other gods. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you know you've covered the bases with all these other gods? You may worship one and not another. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt like I needed being reminded, actually. Mm. It's not something I'm contesting, but I just take it as understanding it so naturally um, that I kind of forget that a lot of people don't think like that. No, no. 
And there still will be that bit of us that yeah. is tuned into crazy idols. I completely agree, yeah. yes, because you get drawn into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And there is a kind of flip, kind of sobering flip side to this in terms of actually, if God is one, I'm not on the same level as him. I'm not in the God category. And I, I, I know that seems obvious stating that, but how often we forget that. How often do people shift into the God-like category? There is only one God. There are no rivals. Um, let's turn then to the other half of this word, triune, and think about the tribes. Um, and we're going to look at John chapter 5. Um, why don't we turn there now? I'm going to get you to do a bit of work. And if someone could shout out a page. We won't read it yet, but... 1068. John chapter 5. And you may remember this incident. Jesus meets a man who has been disabled for decades. And uh, it's a very sad story. He pins all his hopes on being healed at this pool. But every time the waters are stirred up, which is this kind of idea that actually when the waters are stirred up, there's going to be healing. Um, actually, he's too slow to get there uh, to be healed. And Jesus walks up to him, shows his power uh, by saying to him, pick up your mat and walk. And classically, there's a uh, questioning of why he's walking around on the Sabbath. And there's a whole dispute that erupts from that one miracle. Uh, in fact, there's a dispute that goes over four chapters of John, so it's pretty major. And um, We're going to just look at a few verses, um, and I'm going to get you to do some work. And I want you to focus on um, Jesus' defense and what that kind of teaches us about who God is. And um, we're going to go into groups for that. I wonder if we could read it as a whole group, though, if someone could read it for us, and then we'll do some of those questions between us. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Thank you for reading. Just to pace ourselves, we're going to spend about four or five minutes on this, so probably a minute a question, um, into groups, and uh, tackle those four questions.
Okay, let's uh, come back together there. And I wonder if we could um, just share, um, we won't go through all the questions, just uh, question three, anyone managed to get that far? Question three, anyone happy to put their head above? <laughs> Great, thank you, Zoe. Somebody, look, get a mic to Zoe. Um, Zoe, speaking for your table, I'm sure, but um, what, uh, what is it we, yeah, kind of, how does this give um, us an idea of God? So we felt it shows that there's more than one part to God, but that these parts are interreliant. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's as far really as Really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, something I know, I think, yeah, anyone else on number three? Anyone get there? Thank you, Kev. He's all, God's always working. God is always working. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. And, and how does that link to Jesus? So what's, anyone, just going back to question uh, one, what do we see there? Anyone get to question one? <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. <laughs> He says that the father's working and so is he. Yes. Always working. Great. Wonderful. So, go on, Ruth. I'm going to say, and also that verse number three is what do we learn from God, about God from Jesus' defense? That he does what he sees the father doing. Yes. So there's a, it's a sort of parallel. Yes. Thank you. So, if you were, sorry, I couldn't get the whiteboard working, so just imagine a whiteboard in your heads. A, a thick line down the middle. Um, division between God and not God. Um, we have the universe on not God. You're in the category of not God. I'm sorry if you, that's news to you. Um, on the side of God, though, we've got the Father. Where would we place Jesus off the back of this passage? Well, I think Jesus is saying he'd be placed in the God category. He, and that's exactly what the issue is here. He's making himself equal with God. But that's not the same as Jesus saying he is God. Now, I think you can say that, but it's a bit blunt to say that. Um, uh, because what Jesus is doing, he's saying, actually, he's God with his father. Uh, so it's not that he's a kind of rival God. It's not that he's taken over from the father. Sometimes you hear that idea that you've got the God of the Old Testament and then the new God, Jesus. It's actually he um, works with his father. Uh, so on the, thick, on the other side of that line lies Jesus. He is uh, divine. Um, what about the spirit, though? Because often we talk about, you'll know, triune. There's father, son, and spirit. Uh, what about the spirit? Well, have a look at chapter 15, verse 26. And I wonder if um, you could take those questions as a group. Um, if you get on to Matthew 28, that's a bonus. But have a look at Matthew chapter 15 and 26 and answer those questions in a group. Okay, let's come back together. I realize it's not enough time, but um, thank you for pressing ahead. Anyone get to um, 
the question two. Anyone managed to do question two? And happy to share. No one wants to fess up, do they? But anyone gets question two? Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for. Um, do you want to just tell us what your table said? How is he like the father and the son? Well, he, yeah, because it's by truth he's saying that. It's it's also that you see that he's always working like previously. Yep. And but I, I think as Steve has said here, as previously the father and the son work as one. Well, it's also they've seen the same thing here. Brilliant. That, yeah. So yeah. So the, coming back to Zoe's point, there's a distinction here between the persons of the Trinity. The, the Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. They are distinct, but it's not three gods. It's not the Father doing something over here, the Son doing something over there, the Spirit doing something entirely different. They are working together. Um, so uh, they are one. Um, it's worth just seeing as well the Spirit here. I think we see elsewhere clearly in the New Testament. The Spirit's not a gas. It's not a force. He is a person. Um, we're told uh, that he's grieved, and, and people get grieved. Gases don't get grieved. Um, he's, uh, he speaks. I don't know about you, but I've never heard sort of gas speak. I've heard people speak. And he sends. Um, so he sends uh, in the early church. He sends people out uh, for, for mission. So um, he is utterly in line with the father's work and the son's work, you can't put a cigarette paper between them, but he is distinct from the Father and the Son. And, and just coming, to, coming into land somewhere, um, here's where we've got to. We've seen that God is one. He's without rivals, so there's not multiple gods. But we've also seen that in the category of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about Trinity, really... On a simple level, that's all we're doing, capturing both those ideas, that God is one, is without rival, uh, but also he is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, on the uh, handouts, uh, just turn over the page. Uh, you'll see here is um, a quote from the, the Church of England Articles of Religion, which are fantastic. There's 39 of them. Here's the very first one. And uh, in, in some ways, it just stands in line with every other... Well, it does stand in line with every other Christian church. Uh, here's what it says. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts, or passions, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in the unity of this Godhead... There be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So both those ideas there, there are three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, but there is one living and true God. And that's what we mean when we talk about the Trinity. And just before we break, I just want to just set up a couple of dangers where we can go off the edge here. Um, you'll see those building blocks back on page one. Uh, here's, I think, where we've got to. We've captured the fact that the, all three persons are uh, divine. There is only one God, but there is a difference in those persons. 
And if we knock out any of those blocks, uh, we get ourselves into trouble. It's what classically the church has called a heresy. Um, here are a couple of church baddies. Um, I won't get you to do the pantomime boo and hiss in. Uh, but the first is Arius. Um, interestingly, the first famous British theologian um, known for his heresy. Um, so it's when the gospel went out from Africa to Britain, and this is, yeah, uh, this was the first sort of major theologian, um, caused a lot of issues. He argued that the Son, as important as he is, was not God, was not divine. He was created. And uh, so what he's done there is knocked out that block of deity of persons. Uh, so um, Jehovah's Witnesses would argue this. Uh, that's a kind of modern-day version of Aaronism. Um, I guess uh, uh, Muslims would argue this. Uh, many people would argue this, that Jesus not divine. He may be important. He may be a prophet, but actually he's not divine. But actually that is a church heresy. Uh, it was ruled out in the Council of Nicaea uh, in 325. And um, that is some of the trouble we get into if we deny the deity of the Son. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum is um, modalism, or the way I remember this is to use the word modalism, which is the idea that God has different moods. So sometimes God feels like being Father, another day he feels like being Son, another day the Spirit. And what he's done there is to, this guy called Sibelius, he's knocked out the difference in the persons. So there's not really truly a Son in himself. There's not really truly a father. They're kind of different masks or mood, uh, moods that God puts on, um, but that's a, a heresy as well. So that's what we've seen so far. God is tri. He is three persons. He is one. We're going to pause there and then think a little bit more. Questions as well into the equip thing. Great. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to be pressing on with this topic. Let's ask for God's help as we do. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to see you as you truly are, as we think through what it means for you to be Father, uh, who has sent the Son, who has given us the Spirit. Uh, We ask for your help in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. In the break, someone reminded me that there's a second most famous thing about Arius, and that was that he got punched by Father Christmas. There is a story. It is a true story. Uh, Apparently, St. Nick, the first Father Christmas, um, got so angry with Arius at the Council of Nicaea um, that he leapt at him and punched him. So uh, there's his second claim to fame. Not only did he introduce a heresy that's plagued the church for two millennia, but also got punched by Father Christmas. (laughs) Anyway, um, so that's something you can share in the office tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be thinking more about the beauty of the Trinity. We saw in that first session, um, I've got the diagram now, hopefully this is what it looked like in your heads, uh, that actually you can categorize everything into two categories, God and not God. And in the God category, we have to put Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, because that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, and in the not God is the rest of creation. And we said that um, things go wrong with people like Arius, the Father Christmas guy, um, put the sun in this category. And you may say 
uh, that the son's important. Arius was pretty reverent towards Jesus. Um, he, 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 you know, was very honourable uh, towards him, but he stopped short of saying that he is in the God category. Uh, he said there was a time when the son was not, uh, and you hear that in Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, for example, the son's very important, but he's not in the God category. Uh, the other end of the spectrum is when you uh, mess up the distinction so that actually uh, the father, uh, I don't know how to represent this on the diagram, really sort of, there's only one God who kind of becomes the father and then is swapped for the son uh, and comes to earth and then is swapped uh, for the spirit uh, now. I think hopefully you get the gist there. Um, so either one of those are a problem uh, and either one of those takes away from the beauty of uh, the Trinity. And that's what we're going to see um, uh, in this next session. Um, when I was in Thailand uh, ages ago now, but they had these amazing houses that sat on stilts uh, for the monsoon rain. Um, maybe we could do with those tonight. Uh, but uh, the idea was that the monsoon would come down and flood the place, and these houses would stay standing because they're on stilts. Uh, but obviously, those stilts had to be rock solid, and you had to have all of them in place. And I know it's a bit of a you know, trivial example, but actually, unless we've got the Trinity holding us up, uh, the house will fall. Uh, it might be that we knock a couple of stilts out, and the house kind of is skewed for a, a few centuries in the church, that happens. Or it might be the whole thing comes crashing down. But we need to have the Trinity, not as a kind of add on to the Christian faith, not as a kind of debating thing for theologians to do in colleges, but actually for how we understand God. Karl Barth, um, who um, is uh, probably one of the most famous 20th century theologians, um, but uh, slightly goes off, off things, so don't you know, believe everything he says. But he says this very well. Uh, the trinity of God, uh, triunity of God, is the secret of his beauty. If we deny this, we at once have a God without radiance and without joy and without humor, a God without beauty. So hear what Colbert's saying. Unless we get the triunity, the oneness and the threeness of God, we will miss the beauty of God. And we're going to think in this session why that is. Why is it so beautiful? And why does it capture our hearts, or should capture our hearts, to say that God is triune? And uh, I wonder if you could turn to 1 John, chapter 4, with me, uh, to see an example of this, as we think about the love of God. Did I hear a number? 1227. Thank you. And I wonder if someone could read that for us. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Thank you. It's that phrase I want to pick up at the end there, God is love. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God shows love. Uh, it doesn't say God is loving towards us. It says God is love. In and of himself, he is love. And maybe you think to yourself, well, that doesn't sound very profound. I mean, profound. Other religions surely have an idea that God is love. People would say Allah uh, is loving. But you've got to ask, how do we know someone is loving? Um, you know someone is loving because of the way they show their love. 
So it'd be all very well, me, uh, very well and good of me saying, oh, I'm the most loving person imaginable. If I never showed that love to anyone, if I just sat on a desert island on my own, you couldn't really say that I am love. Um, and this is a bit of a problem when I think it comes to Islam because um, there was a time before creation and to say that God is love before creation without anything to demonstrate that love is a bit of a conundrum uh, or a paradox. Um, it, it ends up making God's um, love contingent on creation. So uh, instead of saying that God is in and of himself, uh, entirely uh, himself, you basically have to say that God needed creation to demonstrate that he is love. Um, let me come at that from a different angle. Um, uh, by, by, by showing us actually how the Trinity changes this, because what we say when we understand the Trinity is that God is love because there are three persons loving one another. So we've seen, haven't we, how the Father loves the Son, how the Son glorifies the Father, how the Spirit is sent who brings glory to the Son. In, in and of himself, God is loving between the three persons. So this is important because it doesn't need creation to demonstrate that God is love. Uh, we're going to get to creation in a moment. But we can truly say that from eternity to eternity, God is love in and of himself. He's not waiting around before the creation of the universe to become love. He has always been love. He always will be love, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, Maybe when you're getting a haircut with, uh, like I was with my Muslim barber friend, it'd be a great question to ask. How do you know God is love uh, before creation, for example? Um, also, what do we mean by love? We, we're aware, aren't we, that the word love, it's such a sort of broad word. It, it, and we know there are very distorted versions of love. There's the Instagram love, the kind of selfie love uh, that points to myself. Um, what do we mean by God's love? Well, actually, we, um, when we look at the Trinity, we see a demonstration of that love. Uh, the love in the Trinity is not kind of self-love. It is a love between three persons. Uh, the Father loves to glorify the Son. The Son loves to glorify the Father. The Spirit uh, loves to bring glory to the Son. There's a kind of um, dance of, of, of self um, of, of, of loving one another, of, of, of giving love uh, to the other. That helps us because, I don't know about you, but it can feel a little bit awkward when we read in the Bible things about uh, God giving his glory to himself, or we talk about our biggest need is to glory God, uh, glorify God. Um, I don't know about you, but when we talk about other people like that, it can feel a bit awkward. You know, that's not the sort of thing, especially in British culture, we don't like show-offs. You know, we don't like people uh, drawing attention to themselves. But when we talk about God's love or God's glory like that, remember it is a self-giving love. So as we look at God, he is in and of himself uh, a love that gives love to another. He is generous beyond imagining uh, it's never a kind of self-focused love, a selfish love, an egocentric love. It is a self-giving love. I know um, when we talk about fathers and sons, it can be a bit of a, a delicate area. Um, 
I know that lots of us have not had good experiences. But, but even those bad experiences, I think, point to the fact that we should expect fathers to love sons. Uh, and when they don't, it, it causes us so much pain. And even that love that we see with human fathers and sons, I think of, you know, as I was writing this, I was thinking of the moment my son Samuel tripped over in France and grazed his knees. Uh, no, I wasn't watching him. And I just remember the, the compassion that just wells up inside you uh, immediately, thinking I would do anything to, to solve that pain. And believe me, I'm not the perfect father. I've got plenty of stories to prove it. But, but, but actually, that is a, a, a faint echo of that kind of self-given love that the Father has for the Son and the Spirit has uh, for the Son and so on and so forth. So when we talk about God being love, he's, it's not contingent on creation. He is love in and of himself. And I don't know about you, as I think of that and think of that sort of love, that is the sort of love that I'm attracted to. That is the sort of love that isn't easy to find in our world. So much love is pointed towards myself. Uh, to my agenda, my kind of egocentrism. But actually, uh, God's love is far different. It's self-given love. Um, Coming to the idea of creation, uh, I wonder if we could turn to John chapter 17. Because I guess there is that question then, if God was always love and always will be love and doesn't need us to love, why did he create the universe at all? Chapter 17 is, um, I guess, Jesus' first central meeting. It's the time where he prays to his father with his disciples in earshot, and he prays for his disciples. And um, we're going to pick it up at verse 24. I wonder if someone could read that for us, verse 24 to 26. Uh, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given before, uh, given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks, Janet. Notice what Jesus is asking for. Uh, Verse 24, he's asking for uh, that they may be where I am to see my glory. But you've got to ask, what is his glory? And then he goes on to explain verse 20, uh, the second half of that verse, the glory you've given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. So here's Jesus' big desire for you, big desire for his disciples. It is to taste that love that the Father has uh, for the Son. Um, I've shared a little example of the love I had for my son, very, very small, very mild, um, in comparison to this sort of love. So um, what Jesus is praying for here is that they would experience this love. And you'll see in verse 26, uh, this is what he wants for them. So he says that, continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be uh, in them. So God the Father, God the Son, uh, and God the Spirit are working together to invite us 
to this Trinitarian love to bring us in. I mean, it's utterly staggering when you stop and think about this, uh, that God has created us not as a kind of pet project because he had nothing to do a few uh, million years ago or whatever, uh, not because he needed uh, to be served, uh, not because he needed something to kind of prove himself, but God created us, created you, because he wanted you to taste and experience that love that has been running from eternity uh, and will run for eternity. I don't know about you, but that just kind of changes things, that God is not some sort of tyrant. I know we don't think that often, but it can be easy to imagine God that way. He's not some God who's unapproachable, but he is um, desperate, willing us to experience the love of the Trinity. Uh, let's do some working groups. Um, there's some passages there. We will go pretty speedily, I'm afraid. Um, why don't, um, yeah, we take those passages. They're quite short passages and have a go at some of those questions. Um, do spend time on, on question five, um, if you get there. But we'll spend about five minutes on this, so just to pace yourself. Okay, let's come back together. I wonder, um, what I'm going to try and do, this may not work, I'm going to jumble questions one to four together by asking you, if someone asks you tomorrow, what is, why did God create the universe and us? What would you say? And this is kind of, hopefully going to bring out questions one to four. may flop, but Woody, are you happy? Anyone happy to kick us off? Thanks, Peter. I'm not going to quote myself, but I'll quote David Pawson. He said, he created us because he wanted a bigger family. <laughs> Thank you. Very nice. Thank you. Anyone happy to say, add to that a bit more? What about Colossians? Let me, let me just pinpoint a uh, question four. What about the goal of creation? What do we see there? Anyone gets question four? Thank you. I heard a yap. Someone's dropped someone else in it. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't think you could hear me. <laughs> it says it's created for him, uh, talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. wonder, you know, if someone asks us tomorrow, unlikely to, but, you know, let's pray. But actually, would we think actually the universe is created for Jesus, for his glory uh, by the Father? Uh, so, um, through the Son... Would um, would anyone anyone get to question five? The key question, Joe. Did you get there? Yeah. Do you want to say something? We're all friends here. <laughs> We're all one big family. Uh, well, um, it changes the way that we see ourselves because we are uh, we are created and we are. Um, created in his image. Yeah, um, really so, helpful. So, yeah, that's as far as I got. Thank you, really helpful. And then Philip at the back here. Yeah. 
we were just saying as, as we think about it personally, it's just amazing to think that I, that each of us can say, I was created by him and I personally was created for him, mm. for him to love me and to be in a relationship with him. It's just sort of mind-blowing, right? Really. Yeah, it's incredible. Thank you, Philip. And, you know, you're not an accident. You're not created to be a sort of slave for God. You're not created to sort of prop him up. Far from it. Um, actually, it's his grace towards us. He creates us uh, for us to be brought into that big family of the Trinity, as, uh, as uh, David uh, put it. Um, so I think that, as Philip said really clearly there, it just changes everything. It just changes my whole perspective on why this world's here. Actually, we're not here just pursuing our own agendas. It's for the glory of God. And hopefully we should start to see why we want it to be for the glory of God because we, if we're making it for the glory of God and we're doing things for the glory of God, we're doing that because we uh, love God's glory. We love the self-given love uh, of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, but we're well aware, aren't we, that our world is not that. It doesn't give glory to God and it is skewed. Um, and I want us to think, how does the Trinity and the understanding of the Trinity help us understand what's gone wrong, and what the solution is to that uh, problem. Uh, I want to introduce you to, I think we've got a picture here of um, narcissists, is that right? The narcissist, uh, the very first one. I don't, there's lots of kind of stories that go around narcissists. Uh, he was the most beautiful man ever to have walked the earth. Uh, apparently, uh, people recognized his beauty, uh, made all sorts of advances. He refused every advance. But then one day he captured his reflection uh, in a lake and was so captivated by himself that he stayed there, uh, I think for eternity. I don't think it worked out very well. Um, (laughs) And we laugh at that, um, but there's something of that there. Um, I think Joe said that we're created to be in the image of God, and yet we turn towards ourselves and love ourselves rather than the one we're created for. Um, this picture's good. I think it's, uh, is it, it's not Michelangelo, is it someone? Uh, come tell me afterwards. Um, this picture's good because it kind of gets the kind of, um, kind of curvature of narcissists. Uh, it really captures that well. And um, theologians often describe this move in and of ourselves as uh, this phrase, uh, invocatus in se, which means curved in on ourselves. And this picture is of, um, you know, if you imagine our um, relationship with God, um, thanks, Ed, uh, should be um, pointing upwards uh, to God. Um, The the theologians say there's been a a curving in on ourselves so that the love uh, doesn't go where it should, but it goes to to ourselves. Um, And that just helps us, I think, because we think, actually, I mean, there's lots of ways of talking about sin, uh, but here's another one, I think, which uh, reflects this kind of Trinitarian doctrine, that actually we've not recognized God, uh, we've not recognized the true gift of the love that is found in the Trinity, but in our uh, perverted distortions, we've curved in on ourselves, uh, like the narcissist or the narcissist uh, looking in. Uh, So we know that in this diagram, we put out the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, although that's completely impossible, and we put us in the God category. um, And 
worship ourselves and curve in on ourselves. And the question is, what does God do uh, about that? And um, we're going to go into groups. And I want us to think not just what God does about that. We all know the kind of, you know, Sunday school answer. No disrespect to Sunday school teachers. Huge, huge job you do. But we're all used to the kind of trimmed down version, which is true. Uh, but but I, I want us to think, actually, here's a slightly different angle. Here's a kind of, how does the kind of knowing the Father, the Son, and the Spirit help us uh, understand the, the, the act of salvation here? So um, head into Galatians 4. Uh, have a look at these verses amongst your tables, and uh, we'll have a few minutes on these. Key question is number three, if you can get there. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mention this, but it may cause confusion. When God is spoken about in the same breath as the Spirit and the Son in Paul, um, God the Father is normally just referred to as God. So when you see God in Paul, it's God the Father uh, and the Son and the Spirit. hope that helps. Let's come back together. Um, it'd be great to just pause on this a little bit. So um, anyone happy, let's pass the mic around, talk about what the Father does in this passage. Anyone do question one, one A? Thank you. Uh, so question one. <laughs> um, the distinctive roles, the Father sends, the Son redeems... And the Spirit wow. brings okay, thank you. salvation to our hearts. Three and one. But Three and one. Yeah, Three and one. <laughs> that's good. Just, just, okay. um, sorry, Father does the what? Sorry. Father sends. Sends a son. Yep. Uh, the son redeems. Son redeems. And the Spirit brings salvation into our hearts. Great. Um, so what you can see, there's a... Um, Again, it's really important we can't maybe come to this in Q&A. It's not there's three separate gods um, coming together in a sort of coalition to work. It is uh, one, um, three persons working in, uh, in one way. Um, there's not a kind of cigarette paper you can put between the Spirit's work or the Father's work or the Son's work or the Spirit's work. They're all working to bring that uh, uh, recreation, that work of uh, re- renewal in us. Um, and just anyone gets a question too on the son's image. How does this help us understand what it means to be a son? I mean, does this mean that we, in effect, have the same relationship with God as Jesus has with his father? What do you think? Well, I think it is. I think it is because Jesus is in us. He says about being in us. But it's still quite mind-blowing, isn't it? I'm glad your mind's blown, yes. Um, no, no, it is. And, it, it, you know, it's the hairs on the back of your neck stick up when you talk that strongly. But that's what, it's what this seems to be saying. It's what John 17 prays, that actually the big desire is to pull us into that family of the Trinity um, and experience that love that God the Father has for his son. And as I say, when I think of the love I have for my son in an imperfect way, that is mind-blowing to think, actually, this perfect love. Uh, what, what does that mean to be brought into that 
Um, thank you. I appreciate that, Tim. Um, I'm going to ask about... Um, no, we'll leave question three. Oh, anyone happy to say something on that? Actually, let's have that very quickly. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to pass to my brother, Steve. I knew you, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> it's, it was really a build on what Jill said, um, that the three persons of the Trinity working for our salvation, our salvation isn't possible without those three persons. They all yes. have a different role. Yes. That, that God sends his son. If God doesn't exist, his son doesn't get sent. Yeah. Um, his son, Jesus, gives us a way back to redeem our relationship with God so we can repair our relationship. So if that's not there, that doesn't. Uh, yeah. That relationship can't be repaired. We can't become yeah. um, the same as Jesus. We can't have that same relationship. Um, and then the Holy Spirit is there to help us cry out to Abba yeah. Father to yes. experience it. And if that doesn't exist, we're never going to get drawn back. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so it just by understanding the Trinity, uh, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful again to simplistic because we do have to break the gospel down to simplistic steps. But that sort of simple, you know, we've done wrong, we say sorry, God takes us back, is true, but actually there's a, a much richer passage as we look in, uh, uh, understand as we look into the Trinity that actually before creation began, the Father had that desire to send his Son. The Son was willingly, uh, willing to be sent to, and then the Spirit to come and apply that finished work of the Son uh, to our hearts. Um, I think for me, just... As, as Tim quite put it really well, actually just blows our mind, really. And, and to be honest, if you leave this evening with your mind blown, I think I've done my job. Uh, I, I, I want that, in a sense. Um, so just to summarize, we saw in that first session uh, that actually triune trinity uh, really is fundamental uh, meaning means three persons, uh, one God. Um, and we saw there's two errors there that we tend to slip into in church, either denying the divinity of the Son uh, and uh, downplaying that, making Jesus a sort of lesser uh, version of the Father, or by sort of smudging them all together and forgetting the distinction that it isn't the Father who dies for us, it is the Son who dies for us. And it isn't the Son who uh, uh, comes into our hearts to, for us to call out Abba Father, but it's the Spirit. Uh, but they're not separate. They're working together in those things. So it's not, you know, three gods uh, doing three things. I'm going to stop talking before I raise more questions. Uh, and in this session we've seen here, actually, as we peer into that, it shouldn't be something we're afraid of. shouldn't be something we think, oh, I can't possibly understand that. But actually something beautiful that we see that actually God's love is an attractive thing. It's not found in our world. Uh, and that God has created us to experience that love. And he's recreated us. He's uh, bringing about salvation to the ends of the earth uh, to bring about the experience of that love as well. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I think we'll take some questions. Father, Son, Spirit, we are astounded at the reality of your love from eternity to eternity. And we thank you for revealing that love to us in you, Father, sending your Son in open our eyes by your Spirit to uh, understand. And we pray, Father, that as we leave this moment um, 
this session this evening, that you would cause us, Father, to worship you, Father, Son, and Spirit, as you truly are. We ask in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Woody. Thanks so much, Rob. Um, We're going to have some time for some questions. Um, So let's dive in and see how many we can get through in the five minutes we've got for questions. Um, A couple here that continue that theme of trying to understand the substance or the being or um, the persons or the roles. Um, So from the 39 articles, what does one substance mean? Yeah, thank you. Um, When you read these articles, you've got to remember that these were written, well, in some sense, 500 years ago, but actually written at the early start of the church. They just copied and pasted uh, to some extent. So um, some of the wording, you you read the word like substance and you think, oh, goodness, that's got pretty negative connotations. Or uh, the idea of parts, what does it mean God doesn't have passions? Come and ask me about that afterwards. Uh, But substance is a word chosen to capture this idea that God is one. So that there's not three gods, there's not three wills, uh, or three independent wills, but there's one substance, there's one God. So when you hear the word substance, that's, that's the word used to capture this idea that God is one. There's no sub-gods, no rival gods. But he is one substance and three persons, capturing this idea that it's not three masks, it's not three modes, it's actually three persons uh, at the same time. Does that help? Yeah, really helpful. And I think leads on to the next question, which focuses more on these three persons. Uh, is it a partial explanation or even a heresy to say the three persons of the God have, have different roles? Do we need to be more distinct in our understanding of the persons of God? Uh, I don't think it's a heresy in and of itself to say they've got different roles. Um, I think as long as you're not violating this idea that they're three persons. So it's not that the father does a bit of a son role for a bit. So we, I've said this as well. I've said, you know, Father, thank you for dying for us. And that's not right, you know. And don't worry, I'm not going to be a theological police if we do that. But I know I often slip into that sort of talking. But actually, the Father hasn't died for me. The Father sent the Son to die for me. So it's not... I, I, I get itchy around the word role if it means God sort of performing a different role here and there. But actually, the Son has a distinct role to the Father and the Spirit has a distinct role to the Son and the Father as well, in the and, sense of they're the different persons. Yeah, and yet the unity of the oneness coming through. So Thank it's you. one will and three different roles or actions. So yes. I think your, your previous diagram helped us see that well of there's one will of salvation yes. and yet three different actions of the three different Thank persons. Thank you, yes, yes in the way that will's achieved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What you're probably detecting here is that we're oscillating a bit like, you know, being on an elastic between two points between the oneness and the threeness. And and what you want to do is some passages bring out either one of those aspects, but we don't want to violate either of those categories where we smudge the persons of the Trinity together. Um, good thinking a little bit about how this can apply for us. So a question here of how can we be better Trinitarians here at St. Mary's? Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, oh, goodness. I think we... I think we want to be Trinitarians. Um, I don't know what it means to be a better Trinitarian. 
I think we want to not be afraid of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, I've not picked that sense up, but that may be something. And I think we want to be uh, unashamed of the doctrine of the Trinity. So I'm not sure if that makes you a better Trinitarian, but I think we want to be faithful to what God has revealed to us in Scripture. And I think we do want to think carefully about how we talk about God. Again, we don't want to be theological police. You know, we don't want to be going, well, you've just said, you know, the you know, Sabalian heresy, get out of the church. But, but we do want to say, actually, we care about the way God's revealed himself. And actually, there's something beautiful in that and right to, to honor him. So um, I think keep with the scriptures, keep teaching the scriptures. Um, I like the fact we say the creed here. I like the fact that Church of England does that. I know it can feel a bit old-fashioned, but actually it just keeps putting it into our minds that actually God is three persons, one substance, over and over. I do that, that would just for starters, I think that would be great thought. Um, and easy one to finish with then. Um, how can we best explain the Trinity to children within our God's family? <laughs> oh man, uh, Caroline, where are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, maybe it'd be helpful to just say a little bit about how not, and just confession time. Probably every one of these things um, I've made this error as well, but. I think basically every illustration used for the Trinity, you're going to create a heresy at some point. So you've probably heard the water, the water's H2O, it can be steam, ice, what's the other one? Liquid, that's one. Um, And God's a bit like that, he's one substance, water, um, different states, that's modalism, that's, it's water becoming different, different things. Sorry, I feel terrible doing this. I know I've done it. I've, I've used this illustration. It, you know, don't don't cry if you have, but but that's that's unhelpful. Um, the four-leaf clover, no, three-leaf clover. Um, <laughs> the idea that it's one clover, but there's three leaves. Um, again, that's that's um, not helpful because it's uh, if you it, it's describing God as parts. So um, Jesus isn't of himself fully God. Uh, he's not just a part of God. So if you take away Jesus, he's not just a third of God. He is God in and of himself. Uh, maybe we'll come to that in another session. But the clover, you were telling me about a Jaffa cake. Do you want to say about that? Well, I mean, similar way, like Jaffa cake. So what is it? Chocolate, jelly biscuit. Um, and again, a one, the three parts, but the three parts being distinct. Um, yeah, the three parts can be taken out. Yeah which cannot happen with the Trinity. Yeah, so that's complete heresy as well. Yeah. That's a Jaffa Cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a Jaffa Cake heresy. Because what we're doing, we, we don't want to divide up God like that and say, you know, if you've eaten the jelly, it isn't a full Jaffa Cake, is it? Yeah. Um, I, so, I think, <laughs> sorry. No, I think, I think something I found helpful and reassuring for me at college doing the Trinity was just our, our tutors saying, look, it is hard. We're not going to understand God. And, and we can't be too upset at that because he's God and we're not. And so if we think we've understood and comprehended God, then, well, we haven't, yeah. but we've gone too far in thinking how great we are. And so, of course, we want to help not just children, but each other understand God and the Trinity better. But there is a sense of mystery because we're not God, we're human. And that's okay. And so we want to emphasize God's oneness and help them see God is totally one. And we want to emphasize God's threeness seen in the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and help them see the importance of one and three. 
The danger can be, as we try to simplify it down to illustrations, that we're doing God a disservice and bringing him down to our level. And we're not God. We're not going to fully understand God. And that is the wonder of God to help children, young people, adults go, wow, God is great. I'm never going to get my head around him. But I want to know him and I want to worship him. And Thank you. It's very helpful. Um, I was just thinking... One of the things I love we do with the children here is to teach them the Bible. And I think it's not to say there's no merit in just taking a bit of time out to think about the Trinity as a doctrine, but hopefully what you've seen is we've not done that in disconnection. We've, we've done that in connection with the Bible, what it already says. So I think if you were teaching the children Galatians 4, um, you, you teach Galatians 4, and there you're building up a picture of what the Trinity's doing, or you get to John 17 and you're building up a picture there. Uh, so that we're not illustrating things in the abstract. We're trying to illustrate things uh, that are found in the passage. So, you know, I spoke about the love I have for my son. Um, you wouldn't want to push that so far. It's got its problems with it. But actually, it gives you a little glimpse into uh, the father's and the son's love uh, for one another. So I think keep teaching the Bible to our kids. It'd be great. Yeah. Good. Let's start Q&A there. We're going to respond in two ways respond praying in our tables. Um, So let's turn in our tables. Let's a few people just pray. Praise God for his nature as three in one. Um, And as we pray, the band are going to come up so that we can respond in song in a few moments. So let's go straight into prayer on our tables and then we'll sing in a few moments. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Father God, thank you for you. Lord, help us as we grapple with the greatness of the Trinity. Help us to fall more in love with you and have our mind blown at the greatness of God. And so as we look to understand God as one and God as three, may we be motivated to leave this place wanting to worship you, to serve you, to enjoy the love that you have shown us, and to share that love with those we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.